0: Episode number thirty-eight. The bellows. Ask me anything.
1: All right, cut the edge of stage.
2: Great. All right, color cross. Check one, two, three. Check. Stand by, please. House to half. House out. Lighting cues one.
0: Recorded on November 21st, 2016, guests included past Bellows panelists, Remington North and Dave DeGro, as well as Raw Matter Artistic Director and Sound and Projection Designer Rebecca Hooten, and included also a new production tech, Cameron Kirk, to tell us about his experiences one year out of school. You can find some more complete bios online at thetitleblock.com, and of course, I encourage you to support the show through patreon.com, where you can help me cover more events like this and bring interesting local discussions to artists across Canada, as well as interviews with Canada's leading designers about their history and their craft. And now here's the next session of The Bellows, Ask Me Anything, which starts with an introduction by The Bellows founders and audience wranglers, Pip Bradford and Christopher Ross.
3: Hi guys, my name is Pip Bradford. I'm Kevin Hudson. Yeah. And I'm Christopher Ross. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, and we are no, uh, the no, Bellows. Did. And Okay, stop talking. <laughs> all
4: right. All right. Kevin's not usually part of this part.
5: Yeah,
3: Kevin usually... Go over there. You have your own microphone. This is our right. microphone. Yeah.
5: It's all going so, very well. So, so welcome to the Bellows.
4: <laughs> um, yes, this is the Bellows. How many of you... Is this your first Bellows? How many
3: is this your first Bellows? Uh, yeah.
4: Got some people. Three, this four, is cool. Yeah. Four
3: new people. You're really great. Welcome. Welcome, yay! Welcome, guys.
4: Um, so, actually, before we start uh, any of the Bella stuff, I'd like to acknowledge uh, the traditional care- caretakers of this land: uh, the Haudenosaunee, Huron-Wendat, the Anishinaabek peoples, uh, the Métis, and the Mississaugas the New Credit. Uh, this is their traditional land, and we thank them for letting us. Uh, stuff on it. So <laughs> thank you very much.
3: Anything. Uh, we'd also like to acknowledge Theatre Passemire, who is our host tonight. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Yep. Applauding, applauding. Thank you. Uh, and we'd also like to thank Michael Cruz from the Title Block podcast, who's here recording it for a podcast. Yep. Uh, he's also doing a Facebook live feed. So uh, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. like check you it can, out on Facebook. You can see him thing,
4: his thing on uh, thetitleblock.com. You can go awesome Uh, you can go uh, listen to the podcast Uh, I listen to my first podcast ever when I listen to one of our podcasts so
3: (laughs) it's actually pretty cool I was listening to it just this morning
4: Uh, we'd also like to thank uh, our bartender Jared in the back Uh, tip Jared I believe it's four dollar steam whistles tonight is that true yeah yeah it always is it's always
3: four dollar steam whistles okay great that's
4: yeah that's it that's all the thank yous
3: Oh, and Kevin's gonna go get a beer. That's good. Okay, great. Great. Um, So tonight we have a little bit, we're uh, venturing into a bit of a departure from our normal uh, panel format because I kind of wanted to give us all an opportunity to ask those little questions that kind of don't get addressed when we just have bigger issue uh, panels.
4: Yeah, all that that weird stuff you've ever wanted to know, all that, uh, you know, stuff that just doesn't quite fit into contracts or, I don't know. Lighting design, all that kind of weird shit.
3: When is the right time to email someone about a job offer? Yeah. Like, What are your
4: fears and hopes and
1: dreams?
3: These are really good <laughs> questions for you all to be writing down and ask later, yes. by the way. Because all of the questions tonight, uh, we're going to ask some, but we hope that a lot of them will come from you. Yeah. Uh, we really hope that you'll come up and address all of our panelists and ask them uh, to give you some information. Because all of them are really wonderful, and as- some of them are established professionals in the field. Some of them are just starting out. But, yeah, we uh, got a
4: cool mix of like yeah. different levels, different disciplines, different, just different things. Just different people. Um, so, for format, format of the night, uh, we're gonna give everybody about 15 minutes in the yeah, hot seat. Yeah. yeah. You can notice usually we have a big panel and a moderator tonight, it's one chair. One chair, one chair, one mic, one
3: table for their beer. It's on you, oh man.
4: Um, So yeah, we're gonna give everybody about fifteen minutes. Kevin's gonna run through some like you know basic uh, introductory stuff, and then it's on us. Then we're just gonna ask all that stuff we wanna know.
3: At the moment, I'm holding the Donahue mic, which is the microphone that we'll take around. So that because each of you, because we're recording for a podcast, we need you all to talk into the mic.
5: Can I can I quickly show of hands? Like who knows who Donahue is? Okay. Milks? Yeah, like three. Yeah, like Phil okay. Donahue. Just, like I know the Like a talk okay. show
3: host. I don't, I don't
5: feel so bad. Ma- <laughs> Maury. I don't uh, feel so George bad Springer.
3: now. Hi, my uh, name is Pip Bradford, and my age has never been more apparent than it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, In such an innocently,
5: great. like, myth. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, it's great. Is that
5: it? Is that all the stuff I we think need that's to all say? the stuff we need
3: to say. So uh, I'm going to be up at the front mm-hmm. of the microphone uh, after Kevin's asked his things. Uh we're gonna start. We'd like yes. no dead air, so you know, get in line, get your questions yes. ready. Yeah, yeah. Uh and let's who's take first? this off. Kevin, we're first? kicking it to I'm you.
5: Seen. Oh. Who's first though?
3: Remington. Remington's first. <laughs>
5: well then why are we kicking it to me? <laughs> Remington North Capital. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, Kevin's gonna ask you once you get on the
3: stage. Yeah, you need to get up the stage. Well we were gonna there. say our origin stories. Oh, right. Yeah, we're starting oh. with origin
5: stories. So we're gonna kick it back to you.
3: Yeah, we're, we're kicking it us. back. This is the worst introduction we've ever done. And we did yeah, such a good one last
5: I time. don't know. I did a pretty shitty one one time. <laughs> okay. Uh, or You. Go
4: ahead.
3: Me. Go ahead. Hi. My name is Pip Bradford, and uh, I went to university for theater, but I did not necessarily uh, in, uh, intend to at first. I was a journalist to start, uh, and my parents didn't think that theater was a viable career, but I decided to do otherwise once I had the freedom to choose my own path. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? And now I haven't done anything else since. Um... <laughs> Uh, I I actually quit theater though for a brief period of time and I managed a porn store for two years until uh, Neptune Theater out in Halifax called me up out of nowhere (laughs) literally they called and they were like do you want to come and be second technician on a show and I was like how did you get this number (laughs) thank God (laughs) thank God God thank God they did because I did second technician on the show and the end of the week when I was running it they were like do you want to just be the head tech and I was like yeah (laughs) and a star was born
5: (laughs) it's just Uh, that easy (laughs)
4: <laughs> my name is Chris Ferras. Uh, I went to U of T for many different things until I settled on uh, equity studies and Celtic studies, uh, neither of which are of any use right now. Um, and I started my theater career uh, when I opted for a show for my friend, and then uh, I met Kevin and Hudson playing ping pong. And he asked me to work here to replace him on a call, which is actually how many people have gotten their start replacing Kevin Hudson. (laughs) Yeah,
3: he's very replaceable.
4: Yeah, (laughs) and I haven't stopped working since. And this now this is what I do. This is what I do. So here I am. Okay,
3: so now it's Kevin's turn to tell his origin story. Oh shit! I didn't prepare it.
5: Get ready. How did I? How did I do this? Oh right. Okay. So uh, I grew up in Scarborough and. You know, you sort of get started in theatre by following girls you have crushes on into into the theatre. And then uh, I was going to be... That's how it goes, right? Um, And then uh, I was going to be a tool and die maker, but I kind of sucked at it. And I applied to sort of Fanshawe College accepted me into their theatre programme because I was doing stage crew, and that was really interesting, so I went there. And then when I got done with theatre school... Um, after like a two-year program, like you do, you go back to your construction job here. Um, but one of the guys I went to school with uh, did some calls here at Pasmarai and got me, because um, I was a plumber, um, uh, the very first thing I did in theater was fix the toilet in that green room down there. Um, because yeah, one of the guys I was going to school with uh, passed my name around as a lighting technician. Also, he can do plumbing. Um, yeah, and then I did the fringe here, and then I was a technician for a while, and then eventually did some carpentry stuff, and yeah, that was, that's more or less it. Yeah, um, but our first guest tonight is this guy. What's your name? My name's Remington North. And what do you do?
6: I'm currently the technical director uh, for the new Crows Theatre Space, the
5: Streetcar Crows Nest. We're done. And so what sort of insect bit you to give you your superpowers?
6: Um, the the insect of uh, the kind of weighted blanket that is lifted from you after a depression. Okay, that's how I got into theater. I uh, I enjoyed theater in high school. I did I like started sound design and like mixing live bands when I was thirteen or fourteen, yeah. and uh, I did some like shitty improv performances around the same time. Uh, yeah. And then um, just before I finished high school, my father passed and I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with my life. And so I moved to Toronto because my family said, you've got to get out of this small town. Um, and I went into a program for web design and I hated it with a fiery, fiery passion. Um, and, then I, and then I just went to a theater show at uh, Humber College. It was like this weird, like, kitschy kung fu show called The Five Vengeances. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, in the middle of, like, a deep, dark, existential depression where I'm figuring out what it means to, like, take care of yourself and be an adult, I see this, like, weird, wacky kung fu show with, like, the sound mixer doing punch effects on a keyboard live, and I was like, you can, like, go to school for this? (laughs) So I immediately dropped out of the web design program and got into theater, and it turns out that that kind of awakened this like beautiful, wonderful love of telling stories and s- solving weird, dumb problems that shouldn't exist, uh, and um, and and simultaneously kind of following up on a love of, of uh, uh, photography, videography, s- scenography, working in, in film and television, which kind of have been my two parallel career paths until now. I'm pretty much strictly in theater. Yeah, because we
5: first met, uh, you brought. Uh, the fringe at the tech connection that's place. right yeah i was a, you a video guy for the yeah, yeah i was a video yeah. designer for
6: a show called our asylum
5: and it was awesome i think that was my favorite show that fringe
6: i remember yeah. i specifically remember you telling me that that was the, the your favorite show of that year's fringe yeah. and i was so honored <laughs> Because uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. I oh man,
5: had, you fucking pointed a you strapped the projector in the thing, pointed to the floor. It was amazing. It looked great. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot
6: of fun. I made like a bunch of weird music videos, essentially, for this uh, for this show about the gentleman. Who, I, his name escapes me. Who invented the lobotomy? A real uh, eerie and scary character, mm-hmm. um, because that's a really strange procedure that um, has been used for like a century now, and it's terrifying. Anyways. Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> the rumor has it he was later killed by one of his patients really yeah i'm not sure if it's true or not it might be apocryphal. Cool. um
6: yeah no let's publish so, that
5: yeah let's totally publish that so uh i love your say. when uh <laughs> you started what like once you found yourself established in theater mm-hmm. what did you think was going to be your thrust what did you want to do in
6: before theater? i was established i thought i was going to be a lighting and video designer right. which i still very occasionally do um, but then I worked as a freelance technician, carp rigger, steel climber, et cetera, as well as a camera operator, grip gaff for film and TV. Um, and then I just kind of found like, I eventually discovered that I was the dude being like, Hey, I don't think we should do it that way. We should probably do it this way. Yeah. And then, uh, and then through the careful guidance of some mentors of mine, they were like, well, you should consider being a PMTD. You've got good ideas. You know how to manage people. You know how to solve problems in the moment. You know how to see problems down the line. Look into it. And then yeah. I, t- I took those words very seriously. And it was uh, Ray Salverda who got me the job as TD at the theater center, opening that space.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, so, yeah, I was kind of, uh, I, was, I was guided along that path.
5: You know, I heard giggles at Ray Salverda's name. What's going on there? Anybody? He's a
4: delightful fellow. Yeah,
5: yeah, he is.
6: Damn right he is. Yeah. Nice no, brilliant. He's the man.
5: Yeah, totally. I feel like students of his are very lucky. actually. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, so you found your how much? How much did beer factor in your early career?
6: Sorry, say that again. How much did beer factor in your early career? Because
5: I got a lot of work here drinking beer.
6: Um, little actually, little. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah? I, yeah, I think so. I think I was more of a cold caller okay. than a than a than a beer mingler.
5: That's very interesting.
6: Um, I got I pretty early got really good at just. Call like calling people up at spaces that I wanted to work and be like, hey, you don't know me, but I'm good. Hire me, please. Huh. I got cool. a great attitude. That's
1: <laughs> sweet. That's pretty um, awesome.
6: Yeah. Yeah. And then I suppose eventually that's where like bigger contracts came from. That's where a lot of my design work comes from, I suppose. Hmm. Is about because if a director doesn't know you, they're not gonna ask you to design a show for them. True. Or at least in, in my in my limited experience. Yeah. Um so the that's where beer Came into factor. Almost most of my lighting design jobs, video design comes from.
5: Right on. <laughs> so would you say you can schmooze, like can you hustle for work? Do you think, is that a skill
6: you have? Yes, yeah. probably. Right probably. I'm a, probably. I'm likely a little bit more critical of myself than I really am. Um, but yeah, I've certainly talked my way into some jobs. Right on. <laughs> Sometimes to my detriment.
5: Yeah. I, I haven't, I don't know how to hustle. Can you, can you teach me to hustle? Sure. Great. Sweet. Yeah.
3: Uh, all right. Audience questions. Put your hands up. Let's see them.
5: What's your name?
7: Scott Garland. Uh, it's my first time here. Uh, hey, I've Scott. Got, I've got uh, a joke question and then a real question. Great. Uh, the joke question is, like, what product do you use for your beard, man? That's very impressive.
6: I don't use any... Oh, no, that's not true. I use a beard oil. A beard... There's a beard oil? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's like a conditioner for your beard. Wow. Yeah, we, will, called... we will talk later, mon Great. frere. Um, I,
7: you, uh, earlier on in the discussion, you mentioned kind of you have overlap in terms of both film and uh, television and theater. Yeah. Kind of went like this. And uh, for those who can't see, this is terrible radio. I'm yeah, I holding Great my radio. hands in parallel. Yeah, two equal hands uh, and never in between shall meet. Um what uh, what do you think the greatest lesson each could learn from the other in terms of how to do their business best? I mean, I'm, I just came off of a film set today, and I'm always envious of the the efficiency at which they run.
6: Yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky. It's I think that question comes out of a like a, a concept of the grass is greener, because I think if theater acted more like film, it would be even more chaotic than it already is. <laughs> and I th- and I think that if film tried to act a lot like theater. Pre-production instead of a five-month process would be a twelve-month process, um, and so I think that they've kind of naturally distilled into their wacky ways of doing things. That that unfortunately, though, are like uh, have like an intense dichotomy to one another. To a sense, like to produce similar products—one more permanent, one more fleeting—but um, but have kind of, like those processes have distilled into like how to create those products. I suppose I wish. I wish film crews were a little bit more, or at least in my experience, were a little bit more team players, like like, uh, like a, a TD, PM, CARP, head of department kind of gang. Some of the film crews I've worked on have been a little isolated from one another, a little kind of like islands connected. Um, and uh, and I think, and that's a really good question, and I think probably with more thought, I'll probably have a way better answer at the end of this than I do right now, uh, <laughs> Unfortunately excellent
5: can I take a little bit of that as well um time is money in a film right that's the, the sort of thing whereas <laughs> like in so pre-production is a process because it's designed to get the most out of the brief time you have with that machine setup because in theater your costs are just actors right like equity actors are your biggest cost that's that's what it is and so uh sorry, for equity shows obviously your biggest cost is equity salaries um, whereas with film, the biggest cost is that machine and mm-hmm. all that infrastructure behind it. So you need to make the absolute most of that infrastructure while you have it. So pre-production is long, production is short. Mm. Whereas here, you can only pay actors for so long. So you get a three-week rehearsal process, an X amount of week run, mm-hmm. because you need to get generating money mm-hmm. out of your actors as quickly yeah. as possible.
7: Okay, so the, the differences are, are quite stark and, yeah. and, and quite knowledgeable. Yeah. If I could sub-question, I don't know going to hop in real quick a sub question in in regards to those two uh because technology uh gone up so much and mm-hmm. one of the big things i feel like uh, i worry that theater is getting left behind so much on in the digital age is uh, advertising mm-hmm. specifically uh the idea of the viral advertisement i mean is there and even in film and television i think a lot of them are behind the the behind the grain in terms of what needs to be done is there a way that they can both kind of come together hand in hand and go into the 22nd century at all? Yeah.
6: I mean, to be honest, I feel a little out of school talking about that, not really being versed in, in producing, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but from, I mean, from like a, uh, an analogy of the, or an analysis of the technology, I I think the roadblocks come with producing viral products Mm -hmm. and like um, to get us, to get, a good image of something on stage that you're producing or something on stage that you're creating, uh, unless you're kind of open to shooting that dogma style kind of out in the world with what's available, with what's natural. Um, it's, it's hard to, to build those into an already crammed tech week, you know, like media calls in a tech week are often the bane of everyone's existence because they've got to cram it in and it's two hours and it doesn't need to be that long, blah, blah, blah. But, um, but, but, if people were to utilize that a little bit more and do some kind of cinema-like shooting of those scenes, those beautiful fleeting scenes you're creating on stage, it gives people an opportunity to, to create a little bit more of a polished product, something that's not an archival video, you know, to put out there to the world. But even then, your turnaround is so tight because you're already in Tech Week. To get something out there and to get an impact online, you've got five days before you open, eight days if you've got some previews kind of thing, you know, so that's, that's tricky, but that's, that's a good thought. You're welcome.
3: Uh, next question. If there is no next question, do you want to go, first? Sure, let's go. <clears throat> oh, oh, no, oh. oh. You said I, should, okay. I did say you should ask this question of Remington, so here you go.
8: Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Victoria. Hi, Victoria. Um, so I'm a wardrobe technician primarily, so mm-hmm. I find myself often left out in terms of crew calls and stuff like that. And I'm yeah. seeing a lot of stuff online for uh, different theaters these days calling for Load in, strike, crew calls, paints, of and I know I could probably do them, but because mm-hmm. I don't have that um regular background that I could walk in and say, I could totally do this, yeah, I just I'm trying right now to figure out how do I diversify? How do I go from being just wardrobe and being locked into that really tiny little box to being able to do more and being able to take on more jobs and work with other companies without being able to sell myself as something that I don't know that I am yet?
6: Yeah, certainly. I think uh, I went through that same kind of thing as I was becoming a technician and as I wanted to become you know, head of lighting, head of whatever. And I, I didn't, I felt like I didn't have the experience. Um, the, I think the best thing you can do is be honest to the people that are hiring you. Be like, hey, I've got a really good attitude. I can pick things up quickly, but I do, I need guidance. And like, if I'm in the room with steel toes and a wrench and you say, hey, go do this task over here, I might not be able to figure it out. But if you're willing and I say, what does that mean? And they'll take the two minutes to say, okay, well, that just means you got to pick things up. you got to move it over there. you gotta, you got to get someone to foot it for you so you can get it up to the grid, whatever, whatever. Then, then you open yourself up to, already st- uh, to show up to a venue and already have a, a, a learning process right at the top. If you can show up with a good attitude, which in my experience is rivals work experience, a good attitude – Um then then people will see that as really valuable. Really valuable. So I would just say be open about wanting to learn and and maybe being a little concerned about your skill set. And I I bet people in similar positions to I, TDs, PMs will be willing to help you develop those skills.
8: And I guess the challenging part is first convincing people to give me that chance in the first place. Like to give if if i like i've i've replied to a couple crew calls recently of course um but i come out saying i'm a wardrobe person Mm -hmm. and i'm the response i get right now is we don't need wardrobe but we'll call you if we do yeah and so i'm not banking on getting
6: that call back but you know then just start changing the name call yourself a green carp or call yourself you know a, a young or a new lx person right yeah. Uh, and so they'll stop the, the word wardrobe won't be involved in the scenario. And, it, and if, you know, maybe they know that you do some wardrobe work, but if, if you come on as a learning carpenter or as a, a learning electrician, I think you'll find that people will be willing. You know, and it's, uh, the tricky thing is, is from a management position, sometimes I know I'm coming up on a load in that things are super tight and I've got eight people where I need 10. And so maybe I can't hire somebody who has learning to do. But there's always I find myself always in situations where I need eight people and I have seven, right? So I'll take any <laughs> like anybody with feet and hands who can lift more than 12 pounds. You're, come on, yeah, you and me, we're gonna be buddies for the day, you know. So like yeah. so. Uh, Which brings me up to a follow-up statement of of check-in regularly. Once a month, send those people of venues you want to work in. Send them an email being like, hey, I got some availability next week. I got some availability in two weeks. If you're short on people, let me know.
5: Yeah, cold calls work for sure Um, for crew calls, definitely. And, yeah, because people always need labor, always, all the time. Um, And super briefly, yeah, calling yourself a wardrobe technician is fantastic because I (laughs) – in the past have always been like, oh, wardrobe ladies. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's diminishing, yeah, it in a way. Well, and the, like, there is a delineation a little bit between, even at school level, people talk about like hard and soft tech, and that's just bullshit, frankly. Like, measuring and cutting stuff and fitting it together, is you're, you're essentially a carpenter. You just use different materials.
8: And, and an aside to you're that, here. like the really gutting part is that I will flat out see crew calls come up, and they are for anywhere from like 3 to $5 more than what's being offered for wardrobe. And I know. Which is right. nonsense. I can, yeah. yeah. And I can do stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's part of the also motivation of like, okay, people are being paid more to do other jobs. So I guess I need to be doing other jobs.
5: Well, there's, um, it, there's a demand problem there too, right? Like, a, like, labor now is actually really in high demand. Super um, high demand. Specifically, email
6: remington uh, at crowstheater com. Totally, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally.
8: I did. Okay, good. You have my resume. <laughs> good,
6: totally, great. Then you're gonna hear from me in the next week. Okay. Yeah, totally.
8: <laughs> yeah, I mean afterwards, if, if when we're milling, if people can who know more about, because I'm I'm coming into this sort of. Um, as a wardrobe person, but not being really well connected to the Toronto scene, people know what theaters to be contacting. I, I don't. Um, sure. So I'm trying to build that network right yeah, now. On that note, uh,
4: definitely talk to me afterwards too, because uh, like in the backspace, bringing people into the fold is kind of my jam. So <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's a small space. It's like a perfect first space to be yeah. a technician For in. Sure. So For sure. chat with me. Cause yeah, we'll get you in there.
3: Is that a uh, wrap up your question, bud? amazing great uh next question uh hi my name's laura so hi, this laura. is my first one and but awesome. i'm still a student actually at ryerson great and i was wondering because we're talking about crew calls
1: mm-hmm.
3: how understanding is it when i can't take crew calls for about three months because i'm in school but all of a sudden i'm okay to take them for either my december break or over the summer holidays
6: I mean, that depends on the manager and that depends on the shows. You know, I've, I've found myself in situations where sometimes some of my best workers aren't available for three months. And that, like, probably a little bit more than it should, it, it makes me feel anxious. Um, because as someone who runs space and as someone who starts thinking about the longevity of a space and not so much about, like, hey, how many lights are we hanging tomorrow? You, you get into a comfort zone where you're relying sometimes more than you should be on your technicians. Um, And so so other than the obvious answer of it is what it is, and some people will be able to book you for those periods of time, and and some won't because they're in the thick of things and relying on their regulars. Um, But I would say when you are available, if you're not getting calls, even though you've sent someone an email in November saying, hey, December, January, I'm available, look me up, Um, follow up, you know. Like, I don't know anyone in, in, as a TD or a PM who takes offense to a to a follow-up email, just saying, hey, do you have any work coming up, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's our job to dole out the work, so if you want it, come get it, kind of thing. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
3: Uh, we have time for one more question from Cam in the back here.
9: Hi. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sick of holding the mic. Hi, Cam. Um... What is your take on the amount of waste we produce in the industry and what can we do to try and repurpose materials?
6: Oh That's a tricky question, man. I, uh, it makes me incredibly sad sometimes to be throwing out enormous box sets into a dumpster. Um, and, you know, it's a sacrifice of specificity. Uh, because some there is some incredible scenic work that gets done by designers who who create this one little tiny, beautiful world, and it might be the size of a bedroom, but all of the intricate and beautiful details that exist in it are chosen very particularly, some of them have to be fabricated, some of them are found um, and uh, and and I feel like uh, it 's an unfortunate byproduct that a lot of that can 't be reused and I mean space is a premium. As a person who's run two venues now that doesn't have storage space, shows that we produce, I cannot afford to keep them. You know, like it's li- like if they don't go in a dumpster, they're going to go out on the side of the road and 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 I have in in the past found theaters to take some of the belongings, take some flattages, take some stock, come Harvest Hardware, come Harvest f- bolts, fasteners, whatever. Um but but yeah, it's really sad to see you know, 700 linear feet of 1 by 3 and 42 sheets of Luan with you know a couple hundred dollars worth of latex paint go into a dumpster. Um, and I don't really have a good answer at how to, how to really limit that stuff. I wish I did.
3: On that note, in February, we'll have about 30 sheets of plywood with a beautiful wood grain paint coming up for available. Full sheets, 4 by 8s, Crow's Theater.
4: Yep. Uh, there are. I will mention uh, as a caveat to that. There mm-hmm. are obviously a couple things: uh, ready, set, recycle. Yep. Uh, and set, reset are they the same thing? The same thing. Aren't yeah. they? They're the same thing. The same the same thing. Same they've they've ones cool. become
6: the other. I believe. Yeah, I think yeah. Ready,
4: Set, Recycle became, or whatever, anyway. Uh, so that's a thing you can post on. Yep. Uh, post on Production Resources Toronto. Yeah. Uh, post on the PRT Buns Zone, which I run. <laughs> uh, oh, great. Post on uh, regular Buns Trading Zone, whatever. I didn't know that was that a That being said, it is. Hey, join. Uh, your mileage may vary. I know a lot of stuff doesn't get picked up. And yeah. again, that's really sad, and I don't. Well,
6: know and that's, yeah, bad. that's what I mean when I, I, say, I say there's a kind of sacrifice in the specificity. Because, like, sometimes you're going to build a beautiful mantle, but, you know, very few companies have money to store, you know, per unit, dozens of dollars a month to keep this beautiful mantle that they might not need for four seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And then a year you know? later, you're like, oh, shit, I could have used that mantle. But, like, yep. it, you know, yeah, you know, man. nobody's got room for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. waste of material or waste of economics.
5: There's also something to be said about artistic um, considerations.
6: Because
5: mm-hmm. the set as a whole is an individual's um, vision intellectual property, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it can't actually be reused without that person's consent and adaptation and blah, 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 blah. Even a portion?
10: Even a portion. To, have, uh... So even with a recognizable portion of a set or costume or whatever, you need to have clearance from the designer. There was a woman I met from the States. She's Canadian working in the States, and she did a large study about How you set up disposal areas in venues can have a huge impact on the amount of stuff that gets recycled. Um, I will look up uh, more about it and find a way to disseminate because you're starting someplace new. So if you organize properly, I was thinking about that today. um, Overall, you will have uh, a much better success rate. Um, She's really looked at human behavior. uh, in the shop um, and then we toured a couple of shops and we talked about how things were, were organized to um, uh, uh, promote sort of uh, habitual behavior um, yeah and it's got to be habit quite interesting yeah. um,
3: unfortunately that does kind of wrap up the time we have for Remington because we do have three other amazing panelists so, to so popular tonight uh, but Remington of course will be drinking at the bar oh, after yeah. this event Next up is Rebecca.
5: Can we have our next panelist this stage, please? Rebecca? She's
3: behind you. I went into the wings to come oh, out.
11: I went into the wings to
5: come out. What? That's amazing.
3: <laughs> As you can maybe tell, Rebecca is, the, I think, the only one of our people tonight who doesn't come from a technical background, because she made an entrance. I put on <laughs> lipstick to be here. Um,
11: hello. Uh, I guess I say yes. Where please. I, what, what, what's I your do? name? What's your name? Um, so my name is Rebecca Hooten. I uh, run a theater company called Raw Matter. Um, I am. It's a devised theater company. So, as much as I can say, I am any one thing. I am also all of the other things. So, generally, I would identify as a director, production manager, um, sound designer, product, projection designer, uh, slash all of the other things <laughs> that exist in theater. Uh, sometimes I even perform, which is not a thing that I would say I do generally, but, you know, that runs the gamut when you're in that huh. kind of...
5: And how did you get your superhero powers?
11: Um, well, I, uh, I, you know, I think a lot of people can say that they started theater, you know, when I, they were a young six-year-old doing whatever, Red Riding Hood, which is what I was. Um, but I actually, I think when I started realizing that this was the kind of theater I wanted to make was in grade 11, I, uh, I went to a really small high school and, uh, we had one play <laughs> for that, you know, it was one play a year and it was everyone from grade seven to grade 11. I'm from Quebec, so we don't have grade 12, um, audition for this show. So it basically meant that the grade seven and eights didn't really get roles. They were kind of the one line or the person who brings on the set and like uh, <laughs> leaves again. And uh, when I was in grade 11, I really wanted to be head girl, president of my school, and I didn't get that, and I was devastated. And then I realized that that was uh, not a lasting position, and I so I made my own position, which was uh, I created two plays. So there was the grade seven and eight play and the nine, 10, 11. And I, I directed and produced the grade seven and eight play. Um, and that's still a tradition at my high school. And I realized that that was a, a thing that I wanted to keep doing was keep making, uh, theater available to people who, and I mean, this is small scale, but theater available to people who maybe didn't have that opportunity and kind of create new work and new, um, concepts and again in that show my theater uh the director of of my high school was also not i hope she's not never watches this was not great at her job (laughs) and uh so (laughs) i wound up doing all of the things and and uh that was the first time i ever ran a lighting board having never actually even sat in front of one before (laughs) that's awesome for that
5: show so and like much more noble than my equivalent high school story which so uh at Woburn, where I went to high school in Scarborough, there's Rookie Drama Festival. It's like the longest continuing amateur drama festival in, like, in Scarborough anyway. Probably in the city, possibly in the province. It's been on for 50 years. And anyway, um, every year it's the job of the organizing committee to write what's affectionately known as the dud play. And it's for, so the idea of uh, Rookie Drama is anybody who audition gets, gets a part. Right. And anybody who writes a play gets their play put on. But those that mathematics doesn't always work. So there's always more players than there are plays, yeah. and so we need to write a play to soak up all the duds that nobody chose, oh. um, and also make it clear, make it unclear that they're the duds. Yeah, which they is can, the very though. delicate. Yeah. Um, so yours is much more noble, <laughs> which I really appreciate. Well, it was.
11: It was, yeah, it was good times. Yeah, totally got me where I am.
5: Yeah, for sure. Uh, would you say? Would you say that you schmooze? is is schmoozing a thing you do as a multidisciplinary yeah. multi talented yeah
11: yeah i think so yeah. i i as a person i schmooze yeah well uh i i uh yeah i can i too can teach you how to schmooze that would be lovely Hudson.
5: <laughs> that would be lovely
11: <laughs> got you um,
5: okay.
11: not not to, like i think i think a lot of there's a lot of indie small new theater companies in the city, all of whom will come up to you and be like, hey, I have a show uh, happening. Uh, here's my spiel, five-second spiel about my show. So come see it. And everyone's like, mm-hmm, I was trying to get a drink. But yeah, 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 okay. yeah totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to see that. Um, so that I try not to do that so much, uh, not to mention that we don't, we're doing sort of longer-term creation processes. But anyway... Um, but schmoozing as a whole in terms of like, hey, you have interesting ideas and I would love to hear more about that in terms of how to implement that into theatre. That's sort of more my...
5: Right what jam. do you mean by longer term creation processes?
11: Um, well, we... Like what's, the,
5: ha- what's the cycle of a project for you?
11: Well, we've had two very different cycles uh, uh, for our shows. Both are based in um, sort of current or social issues. Uh, the last one, the first one we did was based on the, um, new sex ed, uh, reform and the sort of controversy that was happening at the time. This was to, when it happened, this was yeah. when it happened. A couple years um, really so I think yeah. that will kind of come up again now that sort of new information has arisen and we're in the new state of sex ed in Ontario. Um, and then the current piece is about, uh, Housework and sort of the gendered division of labor historically, and we're sort of originally the piece that we've just done was sort of based in our lived experiences, and now we're kind of looking to expand that into um, greater stories, issues that are sort of more contemporary, and we want to have conversations. So, hey, anybody who might have ideas about housework, if whether it's your own lived experience or Sort of greater sociological concepts of that. Uh, we're sort of looking to expand our our sort of base of knowledge know. on that concept. So it's sort can of. Can I?
5: Uh, this is a little bit personal, I guess. So as a person who uh, doesn't have a performing background mm-hmm. and a person who has suffered often and hard at the hands of uh, collective creations, um, can you can you expand uh, uh, talk a little bit about about like what do the early stages of a devised process look like? Do you... Because the, the you know, sort of stereotype is that you sit on your back in the backspace playing mm. ping pong or whatever, or, like, badminton, like, on your back, not looking at each other, trying to come up with an idea for a show, which has happened, but for the record. I'm, but, and I'm yeah.
11: sure that they had a great time doing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the, I don't know. I, don't, I, I couldn't speak to... I think every devised process is different, as is every... Am I allowed to swear? I will yeah, probably absolutely. do it anyway. Uh, it's the internet. Who am I kidding? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. I think every every theater process is different. It doesn't matter. But for us, uh, we usually we. Te- I I think it's important that we we base our our theater in issues uh, that we care about. Um, for this piece that we just did, it was a long sort of research, reading plays, reading every article that anybody of the four of us could could read slash anybody's who sent it to, to us. We read any article that came our way and then deciding, okay, we've read everything that we can possibly read on this. Uh, our brains are full. Let's, uh, start trying to put into physical action what we have read.
5: Right. And so do you Um, pick sort of dramatic elements? Do you try and find a narrative? Do you,
11: I'm not big on narrative. Okay. Uh, on like, Uh, I don't work, I don't work with text personally. I'm more of a visual creator, so my, I can't really speak to how the other people in my collective came up, came up with that kind of stuff. I don't think our process is anything that anybody should emulate. Uh, uh, and I honestly, I don't think anybody can emulate anybody else's process. I think it's just sort of, I think the important thing about devised theater that so often I think gets forgotten is that uh you have to work well with the people like you have to trust the people you're working with you have to work well with them uh both on a personal and uh sort of artistic level um and if there are issues on either of those sort of weighted elements then those that you have to fix that before you can actually make the work otherwise it's just going to be something that you're
5: right Yeah. yeah Uh, Let's not record that part. I'm not sure how to describe <laughs> That's that fine. There's, for the radio That's fine. There are no hosts for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's lovely. hmm Yeah. I think we're ready to kick it up sort to the audience. Hands up.
3: Questions?
0: No? Nothing? Really? Yes. Yeah. Do you have a question, Michael well, Cruz? I have a small comment, actually. Uh, your housework uh, 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 piece... I'm just uh, finishing a history of technology course at U of T, and there was a whole question of the industrial revolution in the home at the turn yeah. of the century. Uh, it's an interesting way on how appliances and everything else was sold, labor saving, Absolutely. when really it was just labor shifting. So, anyways. Absolutely. Uh, if you haven't looked at that, look at it. It's really <laughs> Thank
3: interesting.
0: You. Thank you, Michael Cruz.
3: And then we wanted to kick it to Sarah. And hi. Hi. Um...
11: I just had a question about in terms of when you end up doing all the things, because I feel like a lot of us, especially in our indie passion projects, end up doing one thing and then 12. Yeah. Um, how do you find the balance between doing all those things but also being fulfilled creatively and, and taking care of yourself and staying sane? Is it possible? Do you do it? How does that work? Great question. <laughs> um, well, uh, any, I can, all I can say that we came out of this Project with like the great knowledge and everybody before us and everybody after us will probably make this mistake and has made this mistake before. Hire a goddamn production manager.
5: Yeah.
11: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much you think you can do. Uh, you probably can do it. We did it. But like at the we spent too much and spent too many hours and cried and fought and you know all the things that people do despite loving the work and loving what we were doing and 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 you know ultimately coming out with something that we we were quite proud of but we could have saved a lot of anguish and hours by just getting somebody to say hey guys you're at this much uh, of your budget or hey guys Maybe that's not a great way to spend your time or energy or whatever. Just just check in with somebody outside of your process.
1: Yeah.
11: Um, other than that, I think there's there's definitely like a huge benefit to working with outside people. Like we there's four of us who worked on this show, and we've worked together through university, and we really kind of, you know, finish each other's sentences artistically and on a personal level and all those kinds of things. But I think there's a huge merit to if you're creating something so that's such a passion project to bring someone in, even as a consultant uh, on, say, uh, costume design or lighting design or whatever design elements that um, you may think you have the exact right answer. But there's people who do this for a living, and they definitely have, even if you don't like necessarily within the kind of collaborative devised setting maybe there's no money or maybe there's whatever like talking to other people and paying people just to even come look at what you've done and talk to them about that I think that that's something that we're definitely looking to do in our next in our growth process is uh you know realize that we don't have all the answers even though they were the right answers for the time but yeah awesome thank you
0: Hi there, I'm interpreting briefly to thank those of you who've chosen to support the title block on patreon.com I really enjoy doing the show and I'm not going to stop while I have the time But it does cost a bit to do the show between equipment and web hosting Not to mention extra mic rentals to ensure that special events like the bellows sound as best as I can make them So I'm asking that you help to cover those costs and help me to continue to capture the story of Canadian theatre design Go to patreon.com forward slash the title block podcast and donate a couple of bucks an episode It really helps
3: Uh, next question. Up here. Oh.
6: So, uh, as a member of a devised collective, do you? Thank you. Do you find um, each of the each of your members kind of um, purposefully picking departments or styles of work that they enjoy, and you're all kind of collectively diverging into different work, like lighting? set costume etc or do you still find yourself kind of sharing a lot of that um uh conceptual labor but then mm-hmm. also the labor of of executing those things
11: um we we have a lot of overlap uh in terms of set and costume design generally um but so again with the four people i i tend to do more uh the the projection is sort of i'm the only one who does that the mm-hmm. video design um the sound is sort of a communal effort to conceptualize it and then i usually mm-hmm. do it yeah. um depending on the configuration of there's eight of us in our company
1: yeah.
11: and that we sort of Uh, self-select into different projects so for this particular project there were just four of us Um, lighting design is the same there's we we might all have concepts but there's Mm -hmm. one person who really knows how to execute and and make it happen and and in this one she was amazing so
6: yeah especially when you come into the topic of a tech week you know who who can take on the management of those roles and you know keeping dialogue open for ideas and concepts and changes and adaptations is important but having individuals kind of responsible for those departments in a in a real world sense yeah. uh, is important for the What well,
11: at a certain point we found that and I think this is something that we will definitely continue with like you know you get into tech week the show's like it's done come on yeah. guys <laughs> hands off you might have tweaks and additions oh. or whatever but at the Old end of the move. day that's when it's you know you're 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 putting up the lighting design and you can yeah. have conversations about a certain lighting state but if it's not your territory kind of fuck off <laughs> um, cool. it's up so that was r- really helpful to have for this piece we were like all right we're just running and we're doing and we're here and now it's a real piece of theater so. excellent
5: was that hard one because that's not common amongst professional like script based what you know what i mean like that's um i think that's a great we're attitude fortunate
11: in that we trust each other each other a lot uh and there's so much uh you know merging of the minds uh in the process anyway the way that we do it is um means that by the time we get to a certain point and whatever that point is i I don't i don't know um but we we've realized that like we're we all know like the idea the idea has been floated in some incarnation previously so even if it's not my idea it's it's a the collectives idea. We've 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 gotten there together, <laughs> right? So we're awesome. good.
10: When you're doing collective work, do you create um, any sort of legal framework for your work so that if your project has afterlife, maybe people need to sub out because you know they're having real life? Um, do you have a frame? Do you create a framework for that?
11: Definitely. That's something that. Uh, We didn't do on our first project because it was happy-go-lucky. We're all out of school and we love each other so much and all the things that everybody has been through before of working with your friends. And then we realized that you know, as much as that still remains true and we're all fortunately still friends. um, (laughs) Let me just preface this with the last show that we did. We made a whole show for months and then the week that it went up on the Sunday, we decided we hated it and we made a new show in 24 hours and put it up for the first time on Tuesday and it was a fully formed show uh, and put that on all week and it and it just goes to show how much our minds were like on the same page because we were like, okay, we got in on, Tuesday, on Monday and we were like, fuck that show. We're doing a new show. Here we are.
1: Uh,
11: <laughs> and it was all the ideas that we had been like, no, that's not the best idea. We should do something else and then finally we were like no those are the other ideas those are the ideas we should go with anyway um so that all happened and we it was a clusterfuck of greatness um and uh we for this show we wrote contracts we we uh for before we have kind of a before contract and an after after contract and how we move forward with that we have a company contract and that's something that's been hit home time and time again of how important that is so even you know, we rent out some of our the equipment that we have as a company that we've purchased and we have contracts for that. And, you know, that's something that's, you know, you were, I <laughs> uh, remember at the contract, Bellows. Everybody go watch that on the thetitleblock.com. It just went up uh, today. It just went up today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is a very important framework, definitely, to have as much as you can love the people you work with and love the people you create with and love the people as people Sometimes life happens and you need to have something to get in there.
3: All right. We have time for lightning round. One last
10: question.
1: Oh. Do you
10: Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm going to ask you an unrelated to your work question. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, or maybe just a particularly memorable experience of either working on a show or seeing a show that was particularly formative or memorable or favorite? Just... Uh tell us a story about something you saw that you loved. Um
11: I I remember leaving a lot of shows as a kid feeling like oh my god it just didn't matter what it was it was like there are people on stage and I want to do that this is so cool. And then I kind of lost that for a little while. Um I may not have mentioned at the beginning of this but I see a lot of theater that I don't like uh and don't and I'm like <laughs> angry that I saw because it was dumb um (laughs) uh, and uh, there was and then I remember and that happened so sort of a lot through my early university years and then I saw uh, the Penelope ad that uh Nightwood did um a couple years back and that was really like so important because we I was working on a, a physical theater female driven show at the time and we were all like are people going to care about this at all? And then I saw the Penelope ad, and it was exactly ca- the kind of theater that we wanted to be making—if uh, not a little bit more production-based. Um, and it was very inspiring. And I was like, "Oh, people do make the kind of shit I want to make. Thank God." <laughs> um, so that was
3: that was good. Good one. Good one. Uh, great. That's all the time we have for Rebecca. <laughs> applause. Applause. Thank applause, you applause, Rebecca. applause. 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 Um, if I can just make a quick note for me, if you have a question, can you just say your name when you raise your hand? Because by now I know most of your names, and it's very hard for me to see everybody in the narrow corridor that we've set up for ourselves. Mm.
5: I love you. Thank you.
3: Uh, next up is Dave.
5: Next up is Dave. Get up here, chump. Dave Degraw. Do not cheer for this man. No, do. He deserves. You, Kevin. He deserves your scorn and derision. Kevin, you're a terrible host. (laughs) This is a circle of judgment now. It's on now. You know that. This is a circle of judgment now. Yeah,
2: okay. This is going live, people. It's going to be good.
5: Okay, Dave. What do you do? Uh,
2: Well, that's a complicated question. (laughs) Uh,
5: Simplify it for us plebeians. I am
2: currently a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto, where I also teach intro production, And uh, occasionally lighting design, occasionally production manage, uh, and occasionally lip off at my idiot friends. (laughs) I mean, you know. uh,
5: Hey. Hey, present company. Included. included.
6: Okay. Yeah, so that's what I do. So, What's your Ph.D.? What what are you what are you doing
2: for a PhD? Uh, do you want the thirty second, the five minutes, or the, the thirty, 30, second, 30 seconds.
6: we do have time constraints. Uh,
2: it's a thing that uh, all academics know. At a certain point, you have the elevator pitch for everyone. Uh, <laughs> it's about theater architecture and its relationship to uh, audience mandate, uh, or sorry, to artistic mandate, audience, and the city. I guess.
1: I love you.
5: <laughs> okay, I get it on at the bar later, guys. Too. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, that, was, that was fun. Um, so, when I first met you, you were the most overqualified man wearing a cowboy hat, um, as I, I, I recall. about the
2: cowboy hat. Yeah, yeah I wore cow- a yeah. cowboy cowboy hats.
5: That was Doing calls at the old theater center for Johnny Rook, I think. Oh. Um, how did you end up there? Uh, with two degrees,
2: also a complicated a question. cowboy hat. And uh, do you want each part of that individually, like the cowboy hat? No, I don't hat, really care. Just the two degrees. The people. Yeah. Uh, well, I moved to Toronto to do my masters, mostly to get the, the, out of Winnipeg. Uh, and
5: uh, you can say Winnipeg here; it's fine.
2: <laughs> but I don't want to. Right. Uh, and uh, while I was doing my masters, I met uh, in my program were uh, a couple of theater artists uh, named uh, Anushri Roy and uh, Thomas Morgan Jones, uh, and they put on a they were putting together a show, and I had done some lighting for some stuff around, so I was seemed I guess I seemed like the most competent tech person in our masters class. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's where we were operating at that point. So uh, we did the show in the backspace uh, as a fundraiser because this place was about to go under at the time. So we were uh, supporting in whatever way we could, uh, and so we then we produced that show again at uh, in the backspace for. What was we, the name of that show? Uh, Piazza. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yes, we did it again last season. Some mm-hmm. of you may have seen it. Uh, and during that process, I asked the technician who was soon to become the production manager, how one got on the crew list. Cause I knew a bit about tech work. Uh, he got me in on the crew calls and we were, uh, it was pretty epic at the time we did really well. We used to drop the whole lighting hang on a strike and hang the next one in yeah, four man. hours. Yeah. Like it was
5: epic. Yeah. He was really good in the backspace. Yeah. He was
2: fast. Yeah. Uh, uh a big shout
5: out to Ryan McDougall, who was the guy who mad, hired me shout first out to as Ryan as well. McDougall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, he, he and... works in a bank
5: now. Yes, no, he, no, he doesn't. No, don't. no, he, no. He's a custodian at a, a custodian. school yeah.
2: now. he has a, an enormous <laughs> property. Yeah, uh, he's got an enormous property. A lovely house, daughter, yeah. uh, and he lives like a grown-up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look at us now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. so as a product of that, uh, he had to replace himself. So one day we had this sort of strange conversation where he was like, so, uh, do you like the backspace? <laughs> yeah. How much do you like the backspace? <laughs> Why? Uh, so he offered me the job sort of while I was on a ladder at the thing, and uh, I t- thought about it for a while because I still wanted to be an actor. And I, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I just auditioned for the COC, uh, for, uh, a Russian opera set in a prison. And I thought that that was going to be the, like, that was really going to, like, put, uh, <laughs> so I didn't get that and, uh, pulled my head from my ass and said, uh, okay, I'll take the job in theater, please. Uh, which led Very to sure crew calls.
5: Yeah. That? Yeah.
2: yeah. that's, uh, it's, it's how they do it in the backspace. Very similar. Backspace. <laughs> yeah. Call oh, you de- up a ladder. You're, yeah. you're, in. you're on. Yeah. You're in. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you should work in the backspace if you want to yeah, try. Yeah, totally. It.
5: It's a great place. You could great be running place. a venue yeah. in, like, six months.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, We're
5: making no guarantees, but it's a g- really it's good a good start, yeah. Like, it's a good um,
2: Anyway, yeah, so that's, yeah, so then awesome. I yeah. ended up on that call with you. That was, what, Pleiades?
5: Oh fuck! It might have been Pleiades. I don't yeah, remember.
2: That bizarre. They built a whole house inside the theater. Something like
5: that. But John and I just remember Johnny Rook managing it, and he did not have a good time.
2: No, he got fired. I think. Yeah, but which is that bullshit. wasn't that wasn't that wasn't his fault. He, yeah, no, uh, no rarely it wasn't got, his fault. Yeah, treated terribly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. that building was.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That
2: was, yeah. Anyway.
5: Uh, yeah. Fair enough. So uh, let's go back to academia for a second. So um, you mentioned you were the most technically competent person in that master's degree. Now, it's I wouldn't imagine that would be difficult.
1: <laughs> Is that?
5: Uh, I wouldn't imagine that would be difficult, to be perfectly honest. Like, how much do um, academic theater people and uh, like professional theater people mix? Like, how much do the people studying it talk to the people doing it? much more now than then. Due uh, this to your, was about your Sterling influence. Yeah, and,
2: and I personally feel responsible. For okay, good. No, that's yeah. not true in the slides. <laughs> um it's there is a much bigger place for the practi- academic practitioner now than there used to be. Uh I feel like there was sort of it was I don't know if it was poo-pooed upon, but it was sort of, there was a really big divide between thinking about theater and doing theater. Is that a kind uh, of like
5: punk mentality that happened in the 70s and 80s where like you had to be doing it and it was kind of dirty and like getting um, your hands dirty? And I
2: think it's more about that drama was considered an aspect of English literature. Uh, okay. So there was less, uh, so production was viewed in a different way as sort of a lesser aspect of theater because so many, because you would talk, you, you, you'd be talking about the play script rather than how it was produced. And I right. think that has changed quite a bit. Uh, there also are a lot more practitioners going back to school. Uh, you know, so uh, Martin Julian's in the program with me. Uh, Richard Wendire is a sound designer. Um, Paula Danker, like, there's a lot of a lot of people f- who have sort of gone back to school. Um, and there's also much more of a place for practice in, for the practice of theater in academia. Like there's more, there's more value placed on the, the lived experience of creating theater and the real, the, like the reality of the theatrical experience rather than sort of reading it from a script and, you know, talking about the, you know, characters and their plot motivations and that sort of thing. Right.
5: So um, more, a little bit more vocational and a little less literary.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think right. so. Yeah. Interesting.
5: Uh, you got any beefs? Sorry. Other than me, do you have any beefs? <laughs> like, why? Why are you not? Why are you not uh, uh, running this place? Why are you not running this place, to grow? Why are you going back to school? Why are you not running this place? Uh, well, because because you could have run this place. I
2: could have run this place. I did off and on for a while. Yeah. Um, it. Uh, well, it, honestly, it's to make a grown-up living. I had to be doing thirty or forty shows a year, uh, right. and I got burned out really, really badly. And it uh, it was not a lot of fun, and right. it wasn't. I decided it just wasn't worth it after a certain point. So my plan B all this time was always to go. Well, if this doesn't the theater thing doesn't work out, I'm going to go back to school. We'll get a you know get the respect of society. Uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> not how's, sure how well that's... that working true. out for you? Hey, well, you tell me. <laughs> Let's
3: take it to the audience. What do we say? Hey! Well, that's what I was about to say. No. I know it's a hard act to no? follow okay. with Kevin and yeah. his, uh, his extremely personal questions for Dave. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, Scarlett also has a question.
12: Um, hi, my name is Scarlett. I'm currently a student doing my BFA in production and design. Um, and I find myself, especially in my last year at school, more and more interested in the academics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm wondering, and it's something that I, like, I've thought about doing, going back and doing a BA and then possibly an MA. To what extent do you think that your master's has helped you in either your career or life in general, like, is it is it worth doing? Are you happy you did it, or that's sort of where we
2: am going to
12: trail off now. I'm...
2: You don't have to round it out, just let it... Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I... It was valuable for me in terms of well valuable valuable for me because I needed that master's to do what I'm doing now right I would have had to go back but uh, in terms of uh, it it got me it got me as you know I was saying in my bio intro second it it got me to meet the people who put the show together that got me a job sort of thing. Uh, But I was really lucky in my master's year. Uh, There were a lot of people who weren't actually interested in carrying on with academia specifically. Um, At the time, there was a feeling that... or There was sort of... I'm not sure whether it was a correct... But the understanding was that in order to be able to teach theater, which was a way a lot of people were thinking that they would be able to support themselves, uh, if you wanted to do that at the university level, you needed a terminal degree. So uh, an MFA, an MA, something like that, a PhD. Um, And so a lot of people were doing it for those reasons and for a lot of reasons that didn't involve just carrying on and doing a PhD in my program. So I was really lucky to meet a lot of people that were just interested in doing the art, and it wasn't hyper-competitive or anything like that. Um, I don't know that it necessarily aided me enormously in my theatre work, While I was still sort of full time in theater, Um, I mean it helped me bitch about things like (laughs) carry on two degrees for this whatever it was Uh, when I found myself wedged under that bastard down there. Um, But um,
5: pointing to the stage for radio listeners,
2: yes, for those at home, I am cussing at uh, the stage. Uh, I'm not sure. So yeah, it helped me gain access to Toronto. Like it's. I think you have to look at the reasons you're doing it and what you think you want to get out of it. I mean, education has value in and of itself. Like, It'll make you a better theater maker, a better you know, person, theoretically, to know more and be exposed to more culture, to understand it better. Uh, in terms of access to if you're... So there's that sort of end of it. So if you have a goal for it, it can be really valuable. Like, it was a way for me... I. It would have been difficult to just jump into the city of Toronto to show up and be like, hey, world, right? I had a year to come here. I had something to do, people to meet, a way by which to make connections. So I thought it was really valuable to gain access to a place. Um, on On its own, it was sort of not necessarily as as valuable but as i say it gives me this access now if one now that i have this master's i can go back to a phd and they pay me for that for x number of years not a lot but they do (laughs) but it's a thing you can do um does that does that help or okay no thank you
3: uh next question
4: uh so uh, it's christopher ross asking a question uh so you teach uh, you teach intro production uh my question is twofold uh what has teaching production to people taught you uh and have you had any embarrassing moments or uh like student becomes master kind of moments where they've known more than you Ooh. uh
2: i haven't uh, to answer in order, uh, in opposite order, no, I haven't been schooled particularly by anyone, any of my students' skills necessarily. I did get schooled in pronouns, uh, by yeah, uh, by one of my class because I said you know just because I say you guys sometimes, and the guy, and uh, he went, I'm not a guy. <laughs> I went, you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, um, and I realized that I use that expression uh genderlessly which may in fact be worse so uh there was that um sorry what was the first question was how was what, what has it my, taught you what has it taught me uh patience i'm learning i'm better at <laughs> uh no not not be no. you know uh, because uh i have been <laughs> generally in my life i'm not patient with people and i'm getting better at that i think uh mm-hmm. And um, what else has it taught me? It's made me think about the stuff. It's made me think about things that I was sort of doing out of, not instinct necessarily, but there's, you know, you just do things because they work, right? People liked my designs. I don't know. I didn't know why. Uh, So starting to think more about how things work and why they work. Um, It's also made me examine the process of theater a lot more uh, to understand how, why we do things in particular ways that we do because I need to teach them, because I need to explain to people why we do things this way. I need to go, why do we do things this way? Um, So I think that has helped a lot in some ways.
10: Uh,
5: Cool. Is there any way that we do things that just doesn't make any sense to you now that you've looked at it?
2: Well, a lot of things don't necessarily make <laughs> a lot of sense to me. Uh, I speak, going back to that environmental, the environmental concern of theater, I, I'm not. Sh- I, I understand, but it makes less and less sense to me why we don't use things like stock anymore. Um, I know it's a storage issue. I know there's a bunch of things involved, but there's a lot of aspects of pre-planning that don't, for instance, into the buildings, and that's actually what I'm trying to do: is to help people to build better buildings for what we do uh, so that we could have things. So people think about things like storage and think about how they make things um, in, in uh, sort of in the goal of being able to do things in a more responsible way. <laughs> um, that would be nice, uh, though I haven't found an answer <laughs> to that.
5: Interestingly, I think like listening to that comment has made me realize that my job is essentially producing things that temporarily are art and then go in the dumpster. Yeah. So I'm my job essentially well, it's all is all of our jobs is, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways as a land filler. Yeah, that yeah. is my job actually. Good at it. I'm super good yeah. at it. <laughs> Bro, I'm the best. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, something changed at some point. We. We, uh, theater used to involve a lot more, a lot more repeated use of a lot of things. And I think we have moved away from that towards a more, uh, people seem either designers or directors or audiences, I don't know who, but demands a more unique experience, a more unique design, a more unique, um, Whatever, and we have prioritized that to a far higher level than any of these sustainability issues, which I think is going to come back and bite us in the ass really hard at some point when they realize how much electricity we use in these places, how much paint, uh, wood, whatever, like that goes in and immediately goes back out again. Somebody is going to realize that. Wait. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, this is going on the internet. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I'm. I'm. I think we need to be thinking about that sooner rather than later. Right. But I know they're doing a course about it at York, which I'd be very interested to see. There is an environmental design course, and I'm curious. What Scarlett, do you do? Anything?
5: Have you taken that? Uh, yeah, I was actually going to
12: suggest. Sorry, uh, I was going to suggest you guys at some point uh, bringing some of the faculty from York in to do a panel on on sustainability because they're really making some interesting uh, sheila and i were talking about this earlier about ian garrett's project and how he's a huge advocate for sustainability mm-hmm. in theater um you know in canada the states and he works in scotland as well yeah. um so i would definitely recommend uh getting ian and uh and a couple other of the faculty member down here to do a talk yeah. on that um, yeah, yeah that would
5: be awesome yeah
2: yeah i'd love to see his curriculum i just what. You know, it's because it's, yeah. it's almost outside of our thinking, right? Okay. We have stock. Yeah. What sort else do of, you yeah. do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, like what, how else can theater be environmental?
12: Absolutely, yeah. Like, it's, a, yeah. It's, a, it's a full year course now at, at York that he teaches awesome. with about uh, 15 students in it, uh, 15 nice. to 20 students in it, yeah.
5: Cool. cool. Well, even the concept of stock, that's, those are flats that you repaint. Yeah. And you repaint until they're half an inch and thicker than every other flat then you throw them out, right? Like that's the And idea. that's it, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so all you're we saving got, wood, right.
2: kind of. We don't I mean, we don't even use risers anymore. Like I yeah. can't find a f- 10 four by eight risers in the city of Toronto to save my life. Yeah, that's bonkers. Right? right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, anyway.
1: Huh. Yeah.
3: Actually, we just we just blew right through last question because you guys just kept chatting about yep. sustainability, which was amazing. Uh, thank you, Dave. <laughs> thank oh. you
5: so much. Get out of here. <laughs>
3: that's enough. Yeah. No more heckling the guests.
5: No promises. Mm. Cam, mm. would you like to come off to the stage, please? Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah! Love yeah. you.
1: Hi.
5: Hey, buddy. Yeah. What's your name? I am Cam. What do you do?
9: I am certainly not studying my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm a freelance carpenter and technician currently. Excellent. Yes. And I am aspiring to be a PMTD.
5: Excellent. Uh, and
9: I would like to keep my hands in the pockets of set design and sound design.
5: Really? Yeah. What insect bit you?
9: Um, I caught the bug at a uh, very early age. My mom was a drama teacher. Right on. So I was around the arts a lot as a kid. Um, and in high school, I in grade nine, I was a part of a student-written and directed play. I was a thug. I was Thug Two. Yes. And <laughs> my my one scene was so basically, me and Thug One broke into someone's apartment <laughs> and stole like two pillowcases full of marijuana. <laughs> And then the next yeah. scene was us smoking it. And Thug One said,
3: Damn, this is some good shit. And I was like,
9: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so
9: is <that laughs> my debut as a performer. Yes.
5: This is
3: obviously a verbatim theater piece. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Root from your life. Yeah. yeah.
5: Roses being thrown on the stage <laughs> yeah. for the radio listeners. Yeah.
9: Um, and then in grade 11, me and Thug One decided to write a play together for the, for the Play by the Lake Festival.
5: So you're telling me his name was just Thug One. Yeah. yeah.
9: <laughs> right. Um, and we did, and we directed it, and I actually kind of pulled a Ben Affleck and started, started in it as well. Nice. Um, and we won an award in the Sears Festival for our script. It awesome. was super great. It was lots of fun. And then the next year, we did another show. Um, and, yeah, so then when I was done high school, I originally wanted to be a, um audio engineer, so I applied for that at Fanshawe and a couple other schools, and then I also applied for a script writing program. Didn't get into either, and my dad was on my ass about going to school, so I then applied for outdoor adventure skills at Fleming College and awesome. theater production at Humber.
5: Yeah. And I- <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
9: yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I
3: guess we know one you got
9: into. Well, I got into both of them, but I chose <laughs> I chose Humber.
3: Okay, don't brag. <laughs> yeah.
5: Um yeah, and that was that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh yeah, music industry arts is the the uh program at Fansha? Yeah. Yeah, no motherfucker gets into that program. Yeah. Nobody gets in that program. That's crazy. Because <laughs> when I was at, oh my God, when I was at college 12, 14 years ago, uh, yeah, nobody got in then, and there was a waiting list as long as your arm. Anyway, I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> lies, Kevin, lies. I was, I was, I'm really not. I was never going to be a sound guy. I'm terrible. Um... <laughs> what, makes, what makes a satisfying job for you? Um...
9: Just, I guess, being like a a larger part of a process and everything going well and, yeah, just getting a, jo- a job done and done well and not making too many mistakes, but... Right. Yeah.
5: Did you have any experiences like that at school?
9: Yeah, totally. Um, I was the assistant technical director for our winter show um, and, yeah, that was a great experience and that's actually what kind of led me in more of a path to want to do that. Because um, I had just kind of signed up for that as like, maybe, yeah, sure, I guess I could try and do this. Yeah. And then they gave it to me, and I was like, holy shit, now I have to do this.
5: <laughs> um,
9: and I did. And yeah, it was great. It was a, it was very challenging. Sweet. Um, but yes, I enjoy a challenge, so.
5: You right good. Talk mm-hmm. to me about problem solving, because we've had problem solving on this stage, I think, throughout, but specifically Rem mentioned... Solving problems that shouldn't exist right yeah
9: um, so like how can that change or just dealing with well just
5: like what do you what do you uh, is problem solving a big part of your day
9: um, yeah yeah probably less so as like a technician mm-hmm. um, just in a space but uh, it's definitely there um,
5: as ATD was that a big part of the gig yeah yeah yes uh, totally. so in personality wise like in personnel or in in um in physical objects or or in in how do you mean
9: um a little bit of both i suppose um and like i don't know that was my only time doing it and it was in a school setting right so there was like a whole bunch of people involved in the process and some people more competent than others yeah right (laughs) of course yeah that happens yeah. yeah and also dealing with uh teachers as well you know having yeah. to like get okayed for everything was definitely hard to deal yeah. with at certain times but also helpful done. yeah uh
5: do you find the sort of um because atd is like kind of the equivalent at school i think of middle management yeah in a way like do you find do you find that sort of um having a little bit of authority but still reporting to somebody who has ultimate authority do you find that difficult or do you find that a little a bit of relief um, it
9: was it was probably more of a relief because, like, I kind of knew, like, when I could okay something. And yeah. then uh, probably mostly if I just didn't know, if someone asked me something and I had no idea, that's when I would go to the TV. Right on. Um, but, yeah.
5: Sweet. So I happen to know you worked at the Blythe Festival this I summer.
9: I did. Can you talk about tini- I did. Yeah. 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 Pip uh, saved me from uh, corporate, yeah. <laughs> pretty much.
3: I don't know I, if saved.
9: Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know if saved um, Yeah, because right out of school, I was working with Freeman A.V. Right on. Um, and it was, you know, it was a great gig right out of school. And then I got an email from Pip, or a Facebook message. From I asked <laughs> you
3: here, actually. <laughs> no,
9: you Facebook messaged me. I remember. That's weird. Why yeah, would I do that? Yeah. Um, <laughs>
3: You'd I hate like, using Facebook. Come Messenger. run away with me.
9: And I was like, yes, okay, all right. Totally. Yeah. And I had heard about Blythe as well, like in school. A couple of my uh, teachers had gone, had been there. So, yeah, that was a super exciting opportunity. And I jumped right into it. And yeah. We're done.
3: And killed it.
9: Oh, well, thanks, Bip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: all
5: right. A smattering Sweet. of applause for a job well done. Cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh so who else did you, who what was your position at Blythe?
9: I was the carpentry PA. Amazing. Yeah. And who did you work with? I worked with uh Ryan Oliver and Eric Danilunis. Amazing. They uh Eric was the assistant head and Ryan was the head. Um
5: sweet. I think for the record Ryan's uh replacing the other Ryan at YPT yep, currently. Yep. Uh and Ryan, Ryan
9: Wilson, Wilson is, is in the ocean somewhere right now on a
3: boat he is on a boat he is, he boat. is
5: on a boat yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like our, for our listeners yeah. reassurance he yeah. is on yeah. a boat
5: <laughs> <laughs> hopefully but also he's in the ocean like the, he song. is yeah, 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 yeah totally that's that's accurate that's accurate
9: yeah. Yeah, yeah eric's actually working at ypt right now as well you right on. yeah
5: nice of Being them to ask you new Ryan. whatever <laughs> yeah. <laughs> up a new position? yeah yeah for sure uh, would you say that you schmooze? Um,
9: do you hustle? Yeah, I've been
5: known to schmooze. Yeah? yeah, yeah,
9: yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe like after a couple of these more so. Totally. Um,
5: <laughs> Pointing to the beer for the radio audience. Yeah, yeah. beer.
9: Um, but
5: is also... That is that something they encourage you to do in school? I, the reason I keep asking this is because it's not a part of um, a lot of production people's, I don't want to say experience, because it is, but, like, it's not part of the skill set you're expected to cultivate necessarily.
9: Right, right. I wouldn't say it was taught yeah. at all in school, but um, coming to the very first one of these was recommended to us by one of our teachers, Tanya Grieve.
5: Yeah, let's hear it for us.
9: Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. us and Tanya.
9: Yeah, Everybody. and Tanya. I love you, Tanya. Um, She's coming. the best. Um, so I mean I don't really know that I have schmoozed you by coming to these you but got a job I got a job yeah. so.
5: I felt well schmoozed yeah. okay well you're welcome
9: yeah
5: <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: yeah I think we're ready to throw it to the audience hands up Remington
6: Ah, yeah. Uh, so you say you're aspiring to be a, a TD-PM combo. Uh, and when I think of that position, I often think of there being a, a visiting PMTD, someone who is attached to a show, per se. And then I think of the venue, uh, because right. a lot of places are right. have su- shows cycling through. And do you see yourself as someone who travels with a show, co- visiting a space, or do you see yourself uh, managing a space? Um, I would definitely like to do either of those at this point. I think
9: um, being a TD or PM of a space would be something more down the line that I would want to do, but I would love to tour with a company um, as well, so whichever one happens first, I don't really have a preference at this point. Um, Yeah.
5: Yeah, good call.
9: (laughs) Do you have any advice, Remington? (laughs) (laughs) I'm asking the questions <laughs> <Fun>. here. Okay.
3: <laughs> Fine. Yeah, sorry. Basically, Remington is asking you to choose between me or him. Because one of us is one of those things, and one oh. of us is the other. <laughs> Remington. <laughs> Next question.
4: Uh, what's something you wish they had taught you in theater school?
9: Um, I honestly didn't really learn a lot about what theaters were out there to work at um yeah. it was kind of something that was expected to be known uh they would like throw in a name of the theater like casually or whatever and be like what where is what does that exist what is it <laughs> right so I um kind of had, that was something I had to like discover my own and, and still discovering um so yeah that was kind of vague the difference between a space and a company or collective um so yeah I kind of wish they focused on that a little bit more.
3: I'm, I'm going to steal the prerogative of the microphone for a second. So you graduated seven months ago, yes?
9: I, fun fact, I actually have not graduated. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 Woo, yeah. Yeah. Um, so allow me to rephrase my question. You stopped attending <laughs> academic <laughs> institutions. <laughs> yes. Seven months ago? Um, yeah, Great. April. What would you say has been your biggest aha moment since you got out into the world? Like, your biggest real-world revelation? Revelation?
9: Oh, boy. Um, I guess uh, just that, like, reaching out to people and cold calling, as you have been calling it, uh, actually does work and is important. And I should do more of it and have done it, and it worked. And so, yeah. Yeah. That's a big, like, you don't, don't wait for something to come to you. Like, try and chase it. Great. Yeah.
5: Next one.
3: Next question. Yeah, hands up. Sure. No, we're just going to keep going, man. We're um, doing this the
1: last
4: right. What's, um, what's, like, a hard one lesson you've learned or, like, a big mistake you've made that's taught you a lesson
9: you've carried on to the future? Damn. Um, a big mistake I've made. That's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Because I can't really think of, like, one thing specifically. I can, there's probably a lot of small ones. I don't know that I've made a massive mistake. Maybe, like, I've showed up late a few times. Um, so maybe that's something that I have learned from. And, like, maybe, yeah, don't do that as much. Um, and I haven't been, I haven't been as much. I'm more so like I, I, did that in school and that I, it actually took me three years to not graduate, but finish. Um, and the <laughs> is a two year program. So in my first year, i like didn't attend class often enough. Um, so yeah, yeah, attendance is can I, can I give important. You a, yeah, attendance Folks. is important.
5: <laughs> Show to up, yes. Show important. up. <laughs> can I give you a big, uh, for the carpenters in the audience, mm-hmm. um, the angle that is written on the drawing you receive, not the angle you set the saw to. Not the same.
9: Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, I do. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, I made that a couple times. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Anyway.
9: That's one you can kind of like physically figure out though, once yes. you like do the. But you can only, fi- you can only phys- like...
5: physically figure it out once you set the fucking thing up. And yeah, so if no, you, exactly. If you happen to have built this whole fucking thing and then set it in a truck and then it showed up at a union <laughs> house <laughs> and then it all comes out and then, yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hypothetically yeah. speaking, this has never happened. This is just preemptively, anyway. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah uh, Next question <laughs> Oh
8: Didn't I say you were supposed to say your names? I already gave my name earlier It's Victoria again Hi Victoria <laughs> Do you ever daydream about what your life could have been like if you had had those outdoor adventure skills?
1: <laughs>
9: yeah Yeah Um. I've missed my last couple camping trips as well. I was trying to do, like, an Algonquin thing every summer, but it hasn't happened the past two summers, and that's kind of sad. But, um...
5: Don't you do the business trip? Yeah. You need to talk to Chris about yeah? the business trip. Yeah.
9: I've seen photos of the suits in canoes, yeah. Yeah. I'm interested. This is
3: a little insider baseball, guys. <laughs> all
9: right, all right. Um, but, yeah, I've totally de- daydreamed about it. Um, I'm, I don't regret at all uh, choosing Humber over Fleming. Um, I'm Yeah, no, I'm very happy with my decision. I'm happy where I'm at.
8: But what would you do if you were attacked by a bear?
9: What would I do? Okay, so me and my two friends, when we went in, when we, so we went on a portage trip, and we had it all planned out. There was three of us, um, and so if there was a bear one of us would get up on the other two sh- shoulders and we would just sing O oh Canada as loud as we could. Because if you run into a black bear, you're supposed to act big and be really loud, right? So, like, that, I, we thought that would be the perfect way to either scare it off or not scare it off and maybe die.
1: <laughs>
9: like, the most patriotic <laughs> way singing O oh Canada.
3: When can we, we didn't have that?
9: to do it. It didn't, yeah. Didn't when can we that.
3: expect the release of your book, The Best Way to Maybe Die? <laughs>
9: 2020.
3: <laughs> Specifically. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, another question.
7: Scott again. Oh, I'll hold it. Thank Great. You. Excellent. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, you, were the, you were the gentleman who brought up the... Uh, you started this entire uh, conversation about sustainability uh, and uh, environmentalism with regards to uh, the excess that theatre creates. Um, and since you're so fresh out of school, I mean, you're, you're closest to the source of, of idealism at its heart. Um, if, if you were, like, master of the universe, uh, you have all the powers kind of thing. Like, what steps would you implement that you think could be, like, put in place... I mean, obviously, a lot of these solutions that we look for are systemic. There's, there's not a pre-existing mold of which to do either on, on several of the le- levels, which, you know, in, if, if we could go back, we would set them, like, 50 years ago so we wouldn't have this problem now. But where would you start? Right.
9: Um, it, it's tough because you can't give designers a rule book, right? You can't tell them you need to use these flats and these flats and these flats mm-hmm. um, and... I'm really interested in that course that Scarlett was talking about. Um, And yeah, that's something I definitely would like to learn more about and get more into and try. And um, like, if I end up doing more set design stuff, I would try and use things that the space already has beforehand and try and design from that, you know? And I think, I, I guess just if more people try and design that way, that is part of the solution, I think. Um, yeah.
3: I, I do know you. suck on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
10: I think it's a bit chicken and egg to say you can't tell designers what flats to use. If you're not storing any flats, they won't be using the invisible ones. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so, uh, uh, you know, many of the designers I know are open to that. And certainly at places like Stratford, which, you know, they right. do have quite a lot of storage. Right. Um, there are quite a lot of artistic decisions that are made around what is already uh, at hand. Uh, also in costuming, you know, they'll choose periods based on what what they have in their costume stock, etc. That's amazing. So, uh, um, well, I just want to lay it out there that if you Mm -hmm. do happen to have a lot of something, uh, most designers would be really enjoy the challenge of coming up with a way to, to use it.
9: Great. Thumbs up to that guys. Yeah.
3: All right. We're at last question. Katie's hand was up first.
10: Um, If you had like a dream person you could work with or dream Thing you could build or dream space you could create in okay. any of those three perhaps all of those three okay what would it be like where would you be like yeah i've arrived i did that
9: is dream person real
10: uh <laughs> okay how about how about a as in like wildest dreams and b as in like kind of realistic but i'll feel like i've arrived dreams
9: okay um well i'll i'll go with b um and it's someone i actually met over the summer uh, Paul Thompson. I would love to work and design with Paul Thompson. Um,
5: yeah. Not enough applause for the yeah. record. Yeah.
9: He is one groovy dude. Um, yeah. Yeah.
3: I did. He hasn't come yet.
9: Um, what place? Was that yeah. the other one? Um, I want to do a show and or many shows at my cottage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be li- yeah, maybe yeah. someday. Possibly. Where is I your cottage? Know. Muskoka. Right on. Mm hmm. Yeah. Just south of Bala. Uh, if anyone's south ever been to the town of Bala, beautiful <laughs> little town. Yeah. Right yep. Uh, was there one more?
10: Um, person or like something. Project something really cool that you'd want to like build or be part of creating.
3: A castle.
5: <laughs> Sweet. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
3: I think that's really the note that we should wrap this bellows up on, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Cool. Thank you so much, Cam.
9: Thank you. Uh, also, thank, thank you. the bello- Thank you, the bellows. So
3: much. Yay us! <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was another presentation of the bellows ask me anything recorded november 21st 2016 the next episode will feature a discussion with designer lorenzo Cevallini. the music for this podcast is by verne good with voiceover by gabriel cropley Please go to iTunes give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at TheTitleBlockCA and on Facebook.com forward slash TheTitleBlockPodcast. You can send comments and requests by email to thetitleblock@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like the show, please support us on Patreon.com. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block.
3: it'll be a full year of bellows oh, Holy shit! yep, nice. yep. Yes. and then i know right we did a thing <laughs> more than once
5: can i say we might be the one bright spark of 2016 for
3: the record <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes you can it's a bold statement and we stand oh, behind it